0: Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the world's leading podcast for injectors and cosmetic businesses. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, an aesthetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend David Segal, an entrepreneur and an aesthetic business mentor. Each episode of IA showcases unfiltered conversations with guests from around the world. In a sometimes disjointed industry, IA aims to help educate and connect our global community to raise the bar for both our businesses and our patients. To further support and educate
1: our listeners, we offer a range of additional resources under our IA Patreon subscription service. This caters for injectors and business owners of all levels and includes interactive live Zoom sessions, webinars, hints and tip videos, private chat groups, and exciting future content to come. To subscribe to IA Patreon, head to www.insideaesthetics.com forward slash Patreon, or click the link in our podcast description. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. Wednesday,
0: here we are again. Wednesday podcast day. Wednesday
1: podcast, and uh, what are we talking about today, Jake? Because, uh, well... noses (laughs) noses
0: <laughs> well not no, well actually well we've got the nose king the nose so king. we'll start with noses perhaps but um we're back to our old friend of aspiration moving mm-hmm. needles the whole drama debate yes. shouting matches on instagram all so
1: the, yeah all the uh, the topics that people stay
0: very calm about online yeah yeah exactly <laughs> there's no polarization or angry people at all it's all very calm um so let's introduce dr alexander rivkin how are you today Great. How are you guys? We are I well.
2: Hope you guys can hear me, okay? Yeah, yes. you you've got one of it's the best
0: good? one of the best sound setups that we've we've come across. So this is this is oh, good. good. We do yes. sometimes struggle. Um, yeah. How was your day? Were you injecting all day? What was your day like today? Um,
2: I'm inject. I, I like to give uh, uh, these days. A lot of my days, I like to give half the day to injecting and half the day to admin stuff. Because you know, at this point, well, it's there's papers, there's like uh, research and just kind of you know (laughs) there's instagram as well it it eats up a chunk of my day unfortunately i have to admit you know so but yeah so half the day injecting half the day doing nonsense
0: (laughs) nonsense well whatever you're doing it's working well um people will obviously know you probably through instagram that's how we've connected and thank you for making the time to sort of come on the podcast and share your thoughts. But um yeah, tell us about your background. You obviously started as a surgeon, so just tell us how it all started and then how you fell into injecting.
2: Yeah, it's a funny it was a funny route really. It's just uh I started out as a otolaryngologist and I um and then I just kind of I got out of my training which was you know, between you guys, between me, you guys and You know, your entire audience, not a pleasant experience. Mm. (laughs) Um, Some people, you know, so with some people, it it goes with with their personality, with others, it it, it doesn't, didn't with me very much. And so after I got out of it, it was just when all this, um, you know, these fillers and talk and Botox uh, first started to get FDA approved. And it seemed to me like, and I didn't particularly want to do ENT. Uh, you know I just it, that wasn't my that wasn't that wasn't burning me up but what was interesting was this possibility of a new field that was being created in front of my eyes and it's and it was so was so that was so uh, so creative you know you could be so you could make stuff up yeah which really in medicine, you know, you're hard pressed to find instances where you can make stuff up. You'd hardly want a very creative, you know, proctologist or, you know, <laughs> cryologist. that would be not great. So, you know, so that just presented itself. And I thought, gosh, this is completely new. This is so interesting to, to explore. Yeah. So, and, and
1: just to sort of orientate time. So you said these products are just being listed or approved by the FDA. So where, where, where were you in terms? of, What year is this in? Because we've had people on like Jink or others, and Michael Kane, and obviously Arthur Swift, and sort of those those people were sort of in the pioneering days. And it sounds like what you're describing is around that kind of time time frame as well,
2: or are we slightly after. Yeah, two thousand. It was two thousand and three. Okay, right. Okay, so it was a little bit after the very first pioneering days. Yeah. So um, those guys have done had done already the work, and it's uh, it just came in onto the market, but nobody really. But most people didn't know what to do with these things. Yeah, you know? yeah.
1: So, and and where were you situated, and and sort of what was your practice looking like at that time, and the process of, I guess, moving your emphasis or the focus of your practice onto something that was still very, very new. Are,
0: are you trying to say how did you con people to do this <laughs> this weird new creative thing that no one knew anything
2: about? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I well, th- but this is the thing about surgical. What, what is the thing about surgical residency right you're <clears throat> the one thing that you the the one very valuable thing well it's not the only thing but it, it is one I think quite valuable thing that you get out of surgical residency is a a boundless sense of confidence hmm. right because you could be dead wrong on uh you know as a surgeon what is this what's the what's the uh the, the saying like you know sometimes wrong, but, but, but never, you know, never in doubt. Mm. Right. And so <laughs> I was never in doubt. Um, I came out, I was doing ENT and then this happened and I thought, you know, <clears throat> I can run a business. I know, I know I have the, the instincts to be able to run a business. Cause my, my mom, so we were from, we're from USSR. Oh, okay. right? We're from, we're from a land that no longer exists. We're from USSR. And my mom came, we came to the United States in 1975 and my mom started a skincare business. And um, so I've been around kind of aesthetics and beauty and, and business for, for a long period, for a long time, as long as I can remember. So I knew I could run a business. I knew that this was very interesting to me. And um, and it just, it was obvious. I don't know, it was obvious. It was obvious that this is the thing to go. Yeah. So, and I knew that nobody else, and I, I I sensed the niche because nobody else was doing just that and I knew that I could and, and also <laughs> which was interesting nobody else understood the internet either nobody else understood Google yeah nobody under, uh, nobody I no doctor at, I mean this is 2003 like I mean yeah. the stone Ages, right <laughs> by internet time nobody had a decent website like everybody's website looked uh, horrible just, yeah it looked terrible so i think I, I mean i just this i thought this was like i could do this this is this is possible so so i was, was say one mm-hmm. of the
0: common common things that we've had with our pioneers gene and uh, john joseph oh yes uh, on our last podcast all of their colleagues and and family even said they're mental that they, <laughs> they shouldn't be doing this and you should stick to being a surgeon so did you have the same kind of experience
2: yeah, yeah, I did, <laughs> <Stop> <laughs> but I, I, I never, I didn't, I, I don't know, I just kind of discounted any, I discounted colleagues, I didn't, I, I, I just kind of they, they didn't exist for me really. It was yeah. me, and then there was a population of people who I was absolutely dead sure were going to come to this like, like it was catnip. Yeah, you know,
1: and obviously there was no one really training anyone on how to do these procedures back then because no one knew anything about anything. So what was your sort of approach to treating patients? Like what kind of procedures? I mean, we, I guess toxins in, in the upper face and nasolabial folds with filler seems to be what most people did in that period. So is, is that what you were doing? And, and where were you gathering your knowledge information that was guiding the way that you would approach and treat patients?
2: I mean, I so I think... So... I was uh, I was I was leveraging whatever whatever knowledge I could find whatever kind of what, whatever whatever piece of information I could get um, working with the companies Allergan in particular was was uh, helpful in terms of getting me information and trying to orient me into, into the in, in the right direction um, going to conferences as much as I could to try to you know listen to how people were doing this and how where people were going and what what ideas I can glean. And um and then I was just making it up. I mean I was just making shit up daily. I was just like this sounds like and again I mean I was like I I've done I've done neck dissections and laryngectomies. Like what could go wrong? Yeah. Right? I mean I can handle anything, any any issues that can happen. Um, this sounds like it would work i'll stick i'll stick a needle in, in a nose you know i'll stick a needle in a cheek It'll, yeah you know this should should be okay and i have i guess it's kind of funny i was never an artist really but i have a, i mean i i kind of have some confidence in terms of how i what i think is aesthetically appealing and and, and attractive and how to get there um and uh, and that's been helpful. Yeah. Not that I'm like not not it's not exceptional, but I think it's something that I I have some some sense of that, and I yeah. think that's been that's been helpful as well. Picasso said that as well, didn't you? <laughs> You're in good company. <laughs> yeah, really.
1: exactly. <laughs> um, sure. so, so so you made a statement a, a second ago saying um, what could go wrong, and I, I know that you probably be a little bit a little bit facetious <laughs> in some respect, but I mean you, you've got a surgical background and. Um, you obviously got a, a very cute understanding of the way the anatomy works. You're sticking a, a gel into someone's face. So we're gonna get onto this further on in the discussion, but the concept of a vascular occlusion from someone like yourself with a, a deep surgical background. Had that concept or that complication or possibility of that complication ever ever crossed your mind?
2: It crossed nobody's mind. For yeah. like, I mean, for uh, we were happily jabbing needles into every possible place for I don't know, a good decade mm. before it ever occurred to anybody that this, that, that, that something may, uh, that we can possibly uh, getting a bunch of stuff into a vessel could be problematic. As far as I know, I, I didn't, I haven't had not seen anything, um, like that, uh, in, in literature about, uh, you know, about dangers. um, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I and, and it's just, it kind of, I guess, we, and I, I mean, I think we've made so many strides in terms of anatomical knowledge, <clears throat> and then in terms of now, we're really making strides as well in terms of the actual physiological understanding of what happens with fillers when they're underneath, in, in the tissues, uh, you know, it's um within whether they're within vessels or whether them or or not um i think it's really accelerated our our cap- our just appreciation of what could go right and what could go wrong and i think it's and it's interesting because i mean i know this is, we're going to transition into yeah. really talking about this in detail but i think it's it's um it's interesting and it's difficult because these uh, these uh, adverse events don't happen very often so it's really hot ha- difficult to do to have real good scientific data. Yeah. on what the optimal, uh, maneuvers are, what, what, what to do, what not to do, because, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to collect the data on it. Mm.
0: Yeah. I've often wondered whether, I mean, maybe you're the outlier where you're jabbing it everywhere. But when I started, which is 2008, you know, like David said, I did nasal labial fold and lip. That's all I did. And, you know, we didn't have cannulas back then. And we were taught basically one way of doing it and, if you, if you translate that to most injectors doing something like that, they weren't going deep, they weren't doing cheek, they weren't doing temple, they weren't doing jawline. And so some of the scarier areas, apart from you could argue nasolabial folds, quite scary, but maybe we sort of mitigated that risk by not going elsewhere. And then we got cannulas. And by the way, we only had one filler at the time, which was Restylane. So just the the probability was limited by what we were doing in the amount of gel we had. And then things have sort of got exponentially scarier but also in some ways safer in some ways not it, it's sort of well we'll get on to what, what do we even
2: mean by safe i don't know anymore <laughs> we know they're allowed to say but it, it's certainly gotten a lot more effective yes because you know, mm-hmm. in all these discussions and that's something that i wanted to stress within our conversation as well is I just can I just got back from uh the CMAC meeting yes, in yep. London, where it's really spec- a meeting that's really very specifically concentrated on complications and managing complications and preventing complications and talking about what the latest ideas and latest research is. And I think it's really interesting. Um but I think it's a limited I think it's a somewhat limited conversation if you don't bring in efficacy as well. Yeah. Because we, you know, the, the, the safest thing you could possibly do is not to inject, <laughs> right? And I mean, and that's an efficacy of zero, but somehow there has to be some sort of, you know, uh, equilibrium between what, how effective we are and how, what the great, what, how, e- what, what the results that we're getting versus, you know, the safety of, of the techniques that we're using. And I think it's an interesting kind of thing to think about are, do we have <clears throat> how, what are the optimal safety techniques? But also, how are those safety techniques affecting our efficacy? Are they taking away from the precision um, of, of our results? Are they taking away from what we can do with fillers? And I think that's, that's you know, I think it's part of the equation.
0: Yeah, such a good point. Um, I, I spoke at CMAC last year, albeit virtually, I didn't go to London. And you wonder, a new injector who, who attends that, it's an amazing conference, Like such good speakers and, and topics, and some things are touched on in great detail. But you, you, you almost wonder if the focus is so scary for people that they come away thinking it's more common than it really is. And I, I don't mean that in a way that sounds blasé. I just mean, thank God, some of these things are pretty rare, right? Particularly blindness, stroke, and for sure. You know, some of those terrible your, your things.
2: It's very well taken. I absolutely agree with you. Sometimes I'm sitting in the audience and I'm hearing some of these guys, I'm seeing these people present and they're putting up horrific slides and I'm, <laughs> I'm having second
0: thoughts. Yeah, exactly. But you know, so, I, I think um we've discussed it on the mm-hmm. podcast before. Um, every conference you go to, doesn't matter which one you go, Monaco, MCAS, wherever, there's always a a talk on blindness, uh, the current evidence to treat it, and maybe vascular occlusion and now ultrasound. And it's almost like um when you're a doctor or a nurse, you every year you do your advanced life support or, or your basic life support. You you just remind yourself of these protocols, no matter how many times you've done it, you just, you know, you yes. go through the motions and you learn it again and you look at the new evidence. So I think it's important to always revisit these things. And, and hopefully if anyone's listening to this, we, we at least make you think, I, I don't know if we've got any answers, but we we'll make you think about what you're doing next time you've got a needle in someone's face.
1: Yeah. Like doing a driver safety course every yeah. 12 months. I mean, cause everyone hops in a motor vehicle on a daily basis or hops on some sort of transport, plane or train or bus, whatever it is, and the risk of a fatality or serious injury on the road is far greater than probably getting um, a blindness result from a filler. But uh, for some reason, yeah, I mean, I think we just, as human beings, we're drawn to negativity and scary things. It's a bit of a survival mechanism, I think, that's, in in built into us as, as human beings, so yeah. yeah.
0: So enough teasing, the listeners. Let's get into the the topic of the day. So this all kicked off on I think it was nineteenth of September with our friend Professor Sebastian Cottafana. He did a post um, discussing a paper that he was a co-author of, and the title was "Is Constant Needle Motion During Soft Tissue Filler Injections a Safer Procedure?" Question mark A theoretical mathematical model for evaluating patient safety and. You know, as always, um, he gets a lot of um, eyes on his feed and, and there's, you know, all the big players are sort of looking at what he's doing and you've got a lot of comments both pro and against and people arguing <laughs> and I, I put a comment and, you know, got quite a few people supporting it but I didn't really, I don't want the support, I just want to stimulate the debate and then kindly Dr. Rivkin said, oh, uh, I'll, I'll come on your podcast and we'll talk about it. So here we are. So, um, so yeah, so we're going to talk about, I guess, the paper first of all and what it, I guess, implied, and then maybe just some high-level thoughts on on some of these techniques and safety maneuvers and and see what, what we come up with, I guess. So I don't know if you, you said you've got the paper up there, um, Alex. Did you want to, I don't know
2: if you can summarize it, or I, I've, I've got a few notes here yeah. as well. Um, sure. I think it's just, it's basically a... Well, there's no. It's it's a it's a theoretical study. It's, it's a paper about a, a, a theoretical kind of model of <clears throat> injection and a mathematical model of injection and the and the, they they they. I mean, he sets up the injection such. He sets up the model in such a way that that the the needle is going in as like a cone through one. One piercing, like is pierced down, and then it goes into a like a cone all, all around as as a model of needle motion. Yes. Um, and then they do all they do this mathematical modeling stuff, and the conclusion they come out with is that the more you move the needle, <clears throat> the more chance you have to encounter a blood vessel.
0: Yes, which. I mean, logically, it seems pretty obvious, right? You you
2: move a needle around more, you're going to find more stuff. And then, so here, I can read you guys the conclusion. I can read the conclusion for your audience. It's a one paragraph thing. And I think that, and and the problem with it, and I I think that it's nice to have this conversation. I think it's interesting to stimulate the conversation. Yeah. But the problem with it is, of course, in these kinds of arguments about aspirating movement and stuff like that, which... are active debates, people latch onto any bit of evidence that they can to support their own side. And so people latched onto this and say, ha, Dr. Carnafano, thank you so much for doing the research that finally proves beyond (laughs) a shadow of a doubt that (laughs) I am right and that you shouldn't move the needle. Right. That's confirmation bias, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah. And this is what all over these comments on, on Instagram, I'm just like, I'm clutching my head thinking, what you know what are you guys talking about so here's the here's the conclusion the results of this theoretical mathematical modeling study revealed that the constant needle motion technique covers a soft tissue area shaped like a cone which that nobody injects like that that you know that i know um and that this soft tissue volume increases with every performed injection pass the number of performed injection passes increases the probability to encounter an artery Within the subdermal soft tissue volume covered by the needle, and that the probability of injecting any volume greater than zero, and this is the important part, the probability of injecting any volume greater than zero increases with the number of performed injection passes. We therefore conclude that the constant needle motion technique does not increase safety, but rather may increase the odds of causing interarterial product administration. So, in order to form that conclusion, you have to make the assumption that any amount of filler in a vessel has an equal chance Mm. of causing a vascular occlusion.
0: Yes, and we don't have a figure for that. I've I've tried asking 100 people today and looking up some papers, and I got some numbers. For example, if you inject, I don't know why you would, but if you're injecting in or around the supratrochlear artery or the glabella, they speculate that 0.04 mils of filler would be enough to you know, cause a retinal occlusion. Fair enough. You're near the eye. It's a small caliber vessel. But I, I personally don't inject glabellas It's the only place I don't inject with filler. But nevertheless, that number doesn't translate to, say, if you're doing a chin or jawline or lateral cheek or, or, or other things. So we don't have a number. But, it, but even so, I mean, you'd have, I mean, again, non-medical brain, just
1: trying to use logic. Um, there Are so many variable factors. What's your extrusion force? What Correct. size needle are you using? Like, what's the G prime of the product? Like, how, like, all these types of factors that you could, you know, you'd need like some sort of Turing test, to, <laughs> so, you'd need some sort of machine to be able to calculate the infinite possibilities. Yeah, that's a and, good
0: point, actually. So, in this uh, mathematical modding, and by the way, the, the, the lead author was someone called Ivan Gonchar, who's a mathematician. He's not uh, an injector, but you know, fair enough. And I have to admit, when I read the paper, I I didn't understand any of the maths. It was like watching, (laughs) you know, Stephen Hawking's kind of stuff. (laughs) Yeah but you doing? yeah you just you just read the occlusion uh, sorry the conclusion <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> but um, what they said was um, I'll just explain it again because there's a bit of a, a weird thing that they did I think um, so like you said there's one entry point and then they sort of focus on you were filling a cone shape of filler like down to the bone in sort of a, uh, like a bolus kind of thing what they did? no so, so you, they're doing in and out fans and, oh. and the important thing that you touched on is the same speed of moving the needle in different directions and the same extrusion force whatever depth you're at. Yeah. So they weren't doing a bolus, almost just doing threads
2: everywhere oh, in, okay. in, in a but I it's get, not a fan like you usually do a fan, which is like this. No, it's down it's in like the layers. Down and then like that, which is like I don't know who anybody like people don't usually do that. So it's no, kind of strange. I mean
0: I've seen injectors, for example, when they're doing a chin, they'll do a bolus down on the bone. And then, without stopping injecting, they'll come more superficial to create like a cherry on top. Um, even Arthur Swift does his sort of double ice cream scoop thing on the zygoma em- eminence. So, not saying everyone does this commonly, but I have seen it done. So it's not completely weird, but it's certainly not the norm. Uh, and and they certainly don't do it in you know multiple passes. They might just do one 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 sort of path of the needle. Um, but yeah. Um, so I don't know if you want to sort of critique it further. I mean, you're basically saying it's it's an unrealistic injectable technique. And I guess the other assumption is you know, you're the surgeon and or facial surgeon. The, it, there's a big assumption that all of the vessels are everywhere. Um rather than being in a particular plane or larger caliber ones deeper and more superficial, you get they they get smaller. Obviously, you get more capillary plexuses.
2: So it doesn't really ben take I actually a- agree with I actually that I actually agree with that part I will I will I will happily concede because I think also <clears throat> that the face is one big blood vessel hmm. and as a safety goal the goal of not getting into blood vessels I think overall is naive correct in I think we're in and out of blood vessels all the time yeah and we inject so much all over the world and we're inside in and out of blood vessels so much all the time that to say that amount doesn't matter is unrealistic it's just not it's not 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 in this reality it doesn't make any sense
1: yeah yeah so we, you know we only know about the occlusions that result in a in an present a like a, a invisible adverse of, like there's probably occlusions that happen all the time that uh, all the time that are of no consequence. Yeah, because that, the body deals it. with it. Yeah. That's
0: what I left on the comment on, on the original post. I said, look, the reality is we're in and out of vessels all the time. We bruise people all the time, which is confirmation that you've been in a vessel and you've fucked it up, but <laughs> you didn't get a vascular occlusion or at least a, a, a visible bad one. Mm. we we'll would probably get microemboli in these tiny vessels and who cares you, you, it gets supported right. by that capillary plexus or that um arterial plexus mm. but um right. what is the point of the paper if it's so unrealistic i guess is my question so,
2: right and then the question is and then and then, i mean and and it's okay you know i mean one can write a paper with limitations in the paper and say okay look it's just a mathematical model you know there's limitations on 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 you know what this can say but here's the you know somewhat limited conclusions that i can give that was not the strategy here. That yeah. was not the way this paper went because it said very confidently, <clears throat> we therefore conclude the constant needle motion technique does not increase safety, but rather may increase the odds of causing intra arterial product administration compared to what?
0: Yeah. They don't say. Yeah. I have to say, I did Compared actually... To not
2: injecting? Yes. Compared to not injecting, <laughs> it definitely does. I, no I left um,
0: Sebastian a, a voice note yesterday just to say, you know, we're going to do this podcast. Do you have anything to sort of add or, or whatever? And he he said, hi. It's kind of funny. I was wondering how these needle movers also combine it with aspiration. Because there is one or two people out there suggesting do both at the same time.
2: That Gosh. makes no sense. How well, many hands? I, how I many fully hands agree you with in? you. But...
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to throw people under the bus here because, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm right and they're wrong. But the, the, there's someone who's been on our podcast who advocates it. How would you actually even physically do that? Uh, well, it, me moving a needle. It's difficult and enough, enough. I've watched it done. It looks difficult to do even stationary. Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it seems a bit silly to me. Um, but nevertheless, it's been proposed as a, you know, rather than aspirating or moving, it's been proposed as sort of a third way of doing
2: it. <laughs> and then uh, this may be a good segue to talk about what it, what is aspiration in that case mm. correct
0: yeah so well i mean yeah. i don't well let's get uh cut to the chase what what are you an aspirator or a non-aspirator i'm definitely a non-aspirator okay fine so that that sets the scene for this conversation <laughs> but um okay so, so what is your sort of i guess you know, for a listener who's just started injecting, maybe haven't even heard of it. What what is it, and why do we do it, or why are we traditionally taught it? By least? the way,
1: I think fifty percent of people either switched off or turn the volume right up now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> at this point, yeah. I know. <laughs> well, this is the thing. Okay, so let's. I mean, I've been trying to make it make sense for for a long time in my head, and I, I have been I have been uh, sadly I've been un- unsuccessful at that. So aspiration very simply you put you put a needle into the where you want to inject mm-hmm. uh if you're using a needle now with with cannulas it's a different different kind of story but with aspiration you put a needle where you want to inject and then you pull back on that needle if you get blood you're in a vessel that it's a test mm-hmm. it's essentially a test of where that tip of the needle is at a given point in time yeah right at a given space so you, prefer, you pull back. If you get blood, you're in a bad place. You move, you take it out, you put it back in, you test. Okay. I'm not in a, I am not don't see blood. I'm not in a vessel. It's safe for me to inject.
0: Yeah. That's okay. basic aspiration. Um, so that's I, aspiration. I got a question because I, I don't know the answer to this. Some people um, prime their needle meeting. They, they push a little bit down on the plunger to fill the needle hub with a bit of filler. So there's you know, a column from the needle tip into the syringe of filler. There's no air in the needle, basically. What's
2: your understanding of why you would or wouldn't do that, even though you don't aspirate? I, I, <laughs> I don't think it matters. I don't think it makes sense either way. But I mean, yeah, maybe it makes it easier to detect blood. I think they've tried it on in vitro, and they've seen that if you prime uh it i forget if it's primed or if it's unprimed one way it's easier to draw up mm. the to, to for the blood to come back for the, to have a, a true positive but then cuz uh i mean what you don't want what you really don't want is a fa- is a is a false negative yes right you don't want to pull back get nothing and be actually inside of us so you know so it's it's you know some i think it's either primed or unprimed it sometimes takes You know, you have to hold it, hold that aspiration, hold the pressure for a few seconds. Some studies say two seconds. Some studies say 10 seconds or 15 seconds. Anyways, but the point being is that if you're in soft tissue, and I can, I'm happy to prove this with ultrasound, which I've tried this with ultrasound a few times. If you are in soft tissue and you are aspirating any of the fillers that we have available to us, Juvederm, you know, Restlin, um, Belatero, I, I don't it doesn't matter what it is. With the syringes, with the one CC syringes that we have, it is physically impossible to not move. And that's the other thing. As surgeons, we know what it means to hold still, mm. right? We know what it what it means to really actually not move. I mean, I've 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 you know, in the process of doing neck dissections, I've placed a scalpel on the internal jugular vein. I know, you know. I, I know what it means to be really to have us to be steady, <laughs> and how much effort it takes, and how easy it is to move. So it is, uh, you know. I, if you're in soft tissue and you're aspirating, that's that's to my mind. And I and I I want to be blunt because I really think this is this is true, and I don't want people to be doing things that with having a false sense of security. So I'm going to be blunt about this which is that I think that if you're aspirating in soft tissue, you are performing a religious, uh, religious maneuver. You're performing a, you're crossing yourself, you're doing something religious, because it doesn't have, it, it, it's, it's, you can't not, you can't stay still, and the face, and if you're doing it in the butt, it's a different story, because these vessels that you're trying to miss are large vessels, so if you move a millimeter, it doesn't matter, you're still, it's still a good test. The face is a different story. One millimeter, and that's the difference between being in or out of vessel. So wouldn't so, the,
0: the counter-argument that to be, uh, you know, you, I've been a junior doctor, you've been a junior doctor at some point, we cannulate vessels all the time to take blood, and, and you're shaking because you're nervous, and you still get the blood, and you're in, and you can do it.
2: Like, you know... These are big vessels. I mean, the, to compare this, to compare something like a radial vessel to, a, to a, you know, even a angular, I mean i don't know i think it's that's uh, but i mean i don't think i don't know i mean I, I i think we're talking about not the point being is that they would say that it's it's you're not trying to just trying to avoid just the huge the huge vessels they're saying you're trying to avoid any vessels
0: yeah i mean th- this is where i think there are some caveats to aspiration and to be honest up. I- I'm still not quite sure where I am. I used to aspirate all the time. Then I've read all the papers. I've tried different techniques. I'm now employing ultrasounds. I'm kind of doing a a smorgasbord of everything now, to be honest. But I'm trying to rationalize in my head, why would I, you know, uh, aspirate on on everywhere? That doesn't make sense to me. For example, if I'm doing a lip with a needle, I'm not going to aspirate because I'm moving and changing my angle and I'm at a different depth and so on. And I don't think anyone argues with that that you don't aspirate when you do a lip with a needle. And yet it's the same premise, really. But I think most people who who are big you know, proponents of aspiration, they're down on a fixed point on bone. Uh, it could be temple, sure. piriform fossa, lateral cheek. And then I think there's a bit of an argument that it, you know, if you accept that it's possible, because it is, you know, you, you can get a positive aspiration, then, well, what caveats can you do to make that an even better test? And a simple one would be, well, rather than having your needle 90 degrees perpendicular in, on the bone, where some of that bevel is clearly in the tissues and not down on the bone, maybe you could have right. the bevel flat on the bone so, that, so it's not, you know, sticking upwards, if you like. Um, and if you did it, say, in temple you're more likely to encounter a larger caliber vessel, you know, you're looking at sort of anterior um, deep temporal artery and posterior deep temporal artery. Well, <laughs> it makes more sense to me to try it there than say, you know, somewhere more superficial where it's kind of less scary. I don't know. Maybe I'm just trying to rationalize this whole religious thing that you just said.
2: I mean, I think that what you're saying makes sense. And according to what I did with ultrasound, where I tried to, I basically tried to make people not move and they did, they, you know, I was doing it with actually with Keon Karimi, who is a, is very experienced. I mean, he's not a novice injector. I'm like, okay, dude, don't move. Here's what we're going to do. <laughs> so when we move, when we did it at the, um, on bone he was successful in really not moving very much, but in yeah. soft tissue, it was, it was you know, Yeah, you, you, you would have to be on a fixed point. Mm. Yeah. So I think that, that, that's, that is possible, but think of what, okay. So that my argument, my, my issue with that is twofold. And I, I wrote an op-ed about this in the, uh, I forget what, J, J, JDD or something like that. Um, <clears throat> my issue with that is twofold. Number one, if you're going to do that, then, this is where efficacy, I think, comes into play, because then you're limited. You, I, I think that if you do that and then you move, that makes that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, because either you move what or you, you aspirate. I agree. Yeah, you're making a choice. You got to be in one camp or the other. Yeah. So, um, if you're going to aspirate, then you're putting a bolus into that one spot, and you're limited in, to one plane. So how you're elevating tissue or how you're doing what you're doing in the aesthetic effect is limited to an injection in one deep plane, and that's it. Now I don't love that because how I do how I do all, all my injections is I'll go down to you know pretty much the bone to a depth, and then I'll I'll raise columns. I find that to be very precise. So I'll inject as I come out, and as I come out, I'm putting I'm putting tissue, I'm putting filler into all the different planes of the tissue. So, you know, so I'm, I'm placing filler both superficially and deep. And therefore I bring, I, I, I open up the various planes of the tissue and therefore get a lift to tissue, maximal lift and minimal spread. Because I'm if you're maxing out one plane, right? the tissue rises up to a certain point point, yeah, and then there's a certain amount of surface tension. And then the filler after a certain point, the filler goes sideways. So I'm trying to prevent that. Yeah. Trying to prevent, you know what I mean? So I, it's just kind of, I, I think you're limited if you're, I'd rather be in multiple planes than one plane in terms of efficacy. Like, yeah. I was going to say, it, it yeah. sort of
0: depends on what you want to do. And, and, and I'm guessing where you are on the face, for example, um, you know, if you wanted an augmented chiseled cheekbone that makes, logical sense you do you know deep plane and superficial plane but some people would argue that if you stay in the deep plane it kind of looks aesthetically better because when you smile it doesn't bunch and you know there's arguments either way
2: agreed agreed i think that's true and i do i actually do like to stay in the in the deeper portion i don't like to come all the way out in the cheek for that for that reason so i think that's true but i think that it, it just i like to have so, the, I mean, one of the reasons that I move is I think it's a superior move, it's, I think it's a superior safety t- uh, technique, but also it's, you know, in terms of efficacy, I think it's gives me options, right? It gives me, so I can, I, it, I, I have more possibilities of what I can do aesthetically if I can move the needle. But the other thing is that, you know, as an, as a Soviet... As an ex-Soviet, I tend to be pessimistic about most things in life. <laughs> and so, because you know, this is how our, our our history does kind of point to that, to some, some pessimism. And so I just, I'm more comfortable assuming that I'm always in a blood vessel, that I'm always piercing a blood vessel, and I'm always intraluminal, and therefore that I am putting small amounts in at any given point in time because I'm always moving. And therefore, mm. I'm never... Relying on any one thing, which worries me, because I know I know that if I put small amounts into blood vessels, I'll be okay. Because I've been doing it for twenty years, and it's it you know I I just I, I know that micro, these micro emboli as we were discussing, won't cause that kind of vascular occlusion that can be you know catastrophic in terms of ischemia and necrosis and stuff like that. I know that a bolus in the wrong place and at the wrong pressure can cause an issue yeah am i so confident in any given technique aspiration or anything else that i'm going to be placing a bolus i'm not Mm. i'm just pessimistic that way yeah i want to be you know going back to sort of
0: aspiration um you know you said you've got to be stable and yet in your experience, many people aren't stable, and I agree. You know, I train injectors, and you see it. And you know, even I get an essential tremor sometimes. It's normal with humans, but um, you know, the, the proponents of aspiration will say, "Well, look, I've 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 demonstrated on stage that I've had a a, a, a a positive aspiration, therefore it does work." And so, you know, how do you counter that? How do you, you know, again, I
2: assume I'm always in blood vessels. Mm. I assume that the the, the assumption, though there, is that aha, I've encountered, I I have a positive aspiration. Thank God, I didn't put filler into that spot. Yeah, my my answer to that is yeah. Thank God that you didn't put a bolus of filler into that spot or any other spot. Yeah, because the negative aspiration, the next negative aspiration that you do before you put a bolus in, could be a false negative. Yeah, you know,
0: I I don't know. I I guess so. It's just—I mean, going back to your technique, which is you know, it's it's perfectly valid. I guess the question is: Do we need to do boluses? Can we get away from doing boluses? Because if we could, then we could sort of get rid of aspiration as a technique, because
2: it's only used for boluses. I think we should. I don't think there's any reason to do boluses ever. I don't know. I never do boluses. Yeah, I mean, trying to think. I mean, the
0: place I would commonly do it would be lateral cheek. But I can alternatively go with a cannula, subs mass, and and sort of do a similar thing, moving my needle or moving my cannula mm. on do the a same plane, going
2: like that, and do a stripe coming up.
0: Yeah, I just think it depends on what 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 you're trying to achieve with this setting, and it goes back to your your balance of well, if we're super duper safe, we just don't inject, and if we inject so creatively that we don't take safety into account, then that's also wrong. So I think it goes back to your equation. Mm. Do, do you think that um, when people get
1: a or posit- negative aspiration that they will then potentially inject with impunity or, 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 or no fear? And then if, you, if the answer to that question is yes, then the next point that I would, that would sort of raise is, well, what other factors increase the risk of an occlusion? Does how fast you inject yeah increase the risk and so if you've got a negative aspiration and especially this is for like maybe young inexperienced injectors who have just taken this as dogma and gone right as long as i get a negative aspiration i'm good to go yeah. and then inject and all the other potential safety protocols go out the window mm. and they end up with a problem i mean is that is that a factor or i'll
0: let alex answer yeah. but I, I mean that is the big criticism aspiration it it yeah it implies like a, a, uh, a very black and white you know safety mechanism and sure if you get a negative aspiration and you don't get an occlusion then well hey it worked <laughs> but if you do then you know how, how do you sort mm. of counter for that you can't you, mm. you only know after the event mm. um
2: mm. Well, what are your thoughts on that i mean i think that yeah i mean if it, it's a it, it's i mean don't get me wrong it's an effective test but if 900, I mean, I inject a lot of people, you, you know, you inject a lot of people, you know, it, it's a, out of a thousand people, 999, everything's okay. But that one person is a career ending event. That's, uh, uh, that's, and that's just uh, for from our standpoint, it's also a devastating event for from them. Yeah. Uh, if it's a visual complication, I just, uh, you know, I think that I, I get worried when people do something like that and then they're like oh my i had a negative aspiration so you know i'm i can do whatever i want mm-hmm. i can just slam a slam a bolus in there and yeah i mean pressure matters how how you know how much pressure you're you're putting on the plunger i think really matters a lot a lot if you're overcoming blood you know it's just i mean and we're still working i think we're still working out uh, what actually happens when filler gets intravascular does it proceed as a plug? Does it shatter immediately into a shower of, of microemboli? I think the latter most likely because that explains why it is the plug. The plug theory doesn't make sense to me because we take vessels all the time in surgery and we don't have an, an issue because of because of, of um, collateral flow, collateral connections. So I think if you're taking if you're plugging up a vessel. There's enough collateral flow within the face that it shouldn't cause the kind of vascular occlusions that we're seeing with ischemia and necrosis, and also well blindness, mm-hmm. but that's but it was ischemia and necrosis. The only thing that makes sense to me is that if when you when you're intravascular, that filler shatters immediately into a bunch of microemboli, and if you put a lot of it, an entire uh, an entire um, which call it uh, derma. Uh, oh my god, now I'm I'm, I'm blanking on the name. Uh, what, what's it called when the vessel the the uh, the area of tissue that a vessel supplies? Oh, an angiosome, an angiosome, angiosome, yeah, angiosome. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. So yeah, I mean, I think that that's what I think that's what what really happens. Um, that's what we I think that that's what makes sense. Yeah. So I I yeah, but I do I worry about that. I worry about I really worry about new injectors feeling that they have a license to do whatever they want as long as their aspiration is negative. What do you feel
0: about this concept? And again, I'm not proposing this I, I, I was just thinking as I was planning some of these questions you get a new injector who knows nothing about nothing and and to be honest their main concern is just getting a result right and, and getting it in the right place they they know they get so tunnel visioned on the result that everything else kind of doesn't matter when when you're that new or at least that's how I thought when I was a beginner but if you introduce a concept like aspiration at that stage as long as you tell them all these caveats like this isn't hundred percent Um, safe and, you know, there are other things you can do. However, this is a quick and easy first sort of line of defense that many people, you know, are doing. But, you know, do some reading and we'll teach you maybe a moving technique next time you come for another lesson. It's sort of teaching people one way, but not the only way. What do you think of sort of graded teaching of
2: these safety uh, techniques? Well, I mean... I think performing an aspiration correctly is a very much of an advanced technique. That's a hard thing Mm. to do technically. I think I think it's my I I mean again, I'm a little bit biased, but I think that movement is a much easier technique to teach. And Mm. it's when I go out there and I and I teach for, you know, about injection technique. I <clears throat> I don't hesitate to teach it to just to even to beginning injectors because they get it very quickly. Yeah, and if they can kind of, I, I teach them speed, I teach them pressure, and I teach them to move. You know, to always slow. I I put I physically put my hand on their hand. Yeah, and I'm I, to slow them down, and I say, you know, talk to them about nice steady motion, soft pressure on the plunger. And they get it within within one training. They can they can get that whole that whole thing. Teaching them how to do a proper aspiration, uh, I I don't know. I think that's uh, I, I think that's a little more more difficult. And I I don't know. I just think that it's. I guess I really, if you, I
0: guess if you don't agree with the principle, you probably wouldn't teach it at all. Is what you're trying to I say? I wouldn't teach it. <laughs> yeah. I just
2: think it's safer. I think it's safer to move. Okay. I, I've chose I think that it's it's the. I don't know. I I get. I would get worried. I get. I would get worried that I teach again. Okay, so here's here's my thought process. Here's my real thought process. Right. So here's a beginning injector. They don't know. They don't know shit about shit. Right. They don't know anything. And I teach them how to aspirate. I'm like, okay, this is. Let's start with this safety technique. Maybe we'll go on with. You know, we'll go on something else later on. They kind of perform it and it's pretty good. And you're you're like, okay, but then they go off and you know into the wilderness, right? And they do their they they do injection, they do their thing and what and they forget little things about what they what they learned during that training. And they they start to perf- imperfectly performing that procedure and then suddenly they're slamming boluses thinking that they're safe. I don't want anybody that I trained to think that they're ever safe. Yeah. Under any circumstances. Mm. Anatomically or with any kind of, with with, with procedures. Fair.
0: You, you've you had a bit of filler in your face. And just, yeah. so, so as a patient, <laughs> I'm joking aside, what do you feel more comfortable with? Because you've heard this argument a million times. Uh, well, to
1: aspirate or non-aspirate? Well, on yourself. Probably feel more comfortable if the needle was moving.
2: Moving, I think, okay. I think so. Fair enough. Because um, I just it's, I just think it's that... A, it's I, uncomfortable, right? Because they're just like kind of going back and forth and you're like, oh man, what, what, what's yeah, this
1: person doing? Just, I don't know. And people have got different levels of coordination. I mean, it's just like, anything else I mean that sort of movement and coordination was not something you're just going to get overnight mm. that's something that takes rep and people have got different levels of coordination and, and sort of mechanical aptitude so I think you've got some variability there it will be interesting one day to see you know, maybe this has happened when this sort of situation occurs and, and then sort of goes to some sort of court of law with some sort of damages claim and, and you know the question is going to be what safety measures did you take and people sure. are going to come Back with a response of they either aspirated or they didn't. And then, you know, the way these things are normally decided is it'll then go to, you know, expert opinions and people will say, you know, did you did you aspirate, did you not aspirate? And it's going to be <laughs> very interesting to see how the court interprets something like that. I think it has like happened that. here yeah. in Australia yeah, yeah, with right. the
0: recent blindness.
1: Right, okay. Um, so you've got, you know, it... just as many experts who'll say you should and then as shouldn't. And then so <laughs> where, does, where does this all sort of end up?
0: Yeah, sorry, I, I didn't mean it's gone to court. I don't actually yeah. know, but I... I I heard that the aspirator had claimed I did aspirate. Yes. So hence it was brought up in conversation. Right, okay. So, yeah.
2: anyways. I think, um, that's the reason, well, I think that's the reason why people are getting ultrasound, by the way. Yeah, well, I think so, because that'll be
1: the first question.
0: Well, yeah. <laughs> do I was going to leave ultrasound <laughs> yeah. almost for like a, uh, not a conclusion, because maybe it's sort of the, the new gold standard, perhaps. I don't know. I'll just dangle yeah. that out there. But we haven't really qualified what we mean by moving the needle. Because we've said that the, the thing proposed in this mathematical model is very unrealistic, and no one does that, and yet the the title of the paper is moving the needle. Yeah. So what 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 do we mean, and what techniques can we do?
2: Uh, if we want to move, in, so yeah. okay, so in how I for me the principle is very simple: if filler is going through my needle, my needle is in motion. Yep. always and so whether it's superficial or whether it's deep going to superficial or whether it's deep staying deep it's always in motion no matter what i just assume there's vessels all over the place okay um and that's and that's but i inject small amounts i inject under low pressure and i'm and i'm slow and i'm soft and i'm careful i always take my time i do all of my fast um, every my all my fast motions happen before the needle hits the skin yeah when the needle hits the skin time stops
0: yeah you yeah
2: know? and i think that's i i think people get in trouble when they're in a hurry
0: yeah did well, you ever
2: come across the paper it was
0: by an australian sort of um group we know half of them and many of them been, been on the podcast by professor greg goodman it was called aspiration before tissue filler and exercise in futility <laughs> and unsafe practice have you read that one
2: I've quoted that paper several times in the papers that I've written. Okay. And it, especially in the, in the op-ed that I wrote was I have quoted that paper a couple of times. Yeah. I think yeah. that was a very good paper. I very much agree with, I very much agree with that group. I'm part of that group. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I, and I was in Mike Clegg was just at, uh, at the London conference. Yeah. Yes. And uh, he is a, a great example of uh, of Aussie uh, of Aussie talent, <laughs> yeah. I have to tell you guys, he yeah, is a great representation for for Australia. Yeah, he's been around for a
1: long time, Mister Mikey. Hundred percent. Um, I was just going to ask, where where does the concept of spasm fit into all of this? Because we've had people on the podcast talking before about you know, is it filler in the tissue? Is the is the is the vessel actually spasming? And where does this you know protocol move needle not move needle fit into that phenomenon? I'm
0: going to let Alex yeah. take that one. <laughs>
2: I think it's a very interesting question. I because, and it's it's it goes to our continue our evolving understanding of what is actually happening when we are um when we get is, uh, these kinds of ischemia and and, and necrosis uh, events. Um I think that's certainly I think vasospasm is certainly a a, a big uh factor here and I, I because first of all Filler, hyaluronic acid filler in the vet in vessels causes vasospasm. Mm. It's a it's an irritant. It outside of vessels is an irritant, and inside of vessels is an irritant. And so I and the and the thing is when I see, so I inject the, you know, I inject the nose at a time. So every day I'm injecting noses, and every day I'm injecting noses that have had um surgery, because I'm I I inject post-surgical noses all the time, which is something that not many people do. Um and when I do inject these post-surgical noses, I see ischemia and necrosis. Well, I see ischemia. I don't let it progress to necrosis because I manage it. Um, <clears throat> but I see it quite frequently, um, probably because of some of the car- compartment effect of you know uh, w- w- with these patients that have already traumatized tissues and traumatized skin with scar tissue. Um, but I find that the when I treat with uh massage and heat it really resolves almost everything in terms of these because i see it blanch i see the blood capillary refill you know not very good i see it start to model a little bit um if i and i consider those two maneuvers to be Mostly anti-spasmodic maneuvers, hmm. and so when I can when I do that, so I think that, that spasm is a big is a big factor here, and I think we're still working it out. You know what I think was going to really going to make all this kind of stuff, all this discussion, completely moot. Smart needles, yeah. When we can have a needle that buzzes when you're inside a blood <laughs> vessel or a major blood vessel, that, that'll be great. But, yeah. you know, we're still waiting. But I think, like you said, we're probably in them. All
0: the time, it might <laughs> no, be tiny. No ones. Not one will inject anymore. Yeah, just be bzz, bzz, bzz. Feel like that, well, uh, that game. You remember that game of Operation <laughs> yeah. when you were a kid? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. um, but yeah, I mean, I think uh, yeah. I, I thought you came up with an idea one day for something like yeah. It was sort of it was ultrasound, which we already have, but it was almost like like a three D game where you could also like watch yeah. it go down, almost like virtual reality, and see where your needle is. That maybe that will come one day. Maybe. I don't know. Who knows? I think
2: it will. I think it I think it has to because right now ultrasound is there's a learning curve. There's a very oh, yeah. steep learning curve. It's like learning a language. It's yeah. Um so,
0: yeah. I sort of forgot to um carry on with what, why I mentioned that paper by Goodman et al is was because they propose a number of, you know, really simple things. So if you go down on a bone and you want to do a bolus You can do your bolus, but do what they call micro-movements, where you might sort of walk around in a little circle move a few millimeters here and there. So you sort of build a bolus with small boluses, I guess. Um, So you're constantly moving, but still kind of doing what you want it Mm. to do. Um, So that's one of the things, and you you touched on the other ones, David, small extrusion force, small volumes. So I think they say a bolus of no more than 0.1. you know, you can argue this till till the cows come home. Whether you're pro, against uh, aspirator, not aspirator, there's evidence for
2: all of this. I think truly, not um, great evidence, unfortunately, because hard to it's hard to make a study about that. You know, it's yeah, rare
0: events. Do, do you know Jubilant Julie? We've had her on the podcast recently. You must know yeah. Julie. She, um, I'm sure it's Julie. She told us that she did some experiments where she basically aspirated her own arm. And, and, you know, just to prove it can, you can do it, it, it's possible. And I guess, you know, going back to cannulation and taking blood, we all know that you can do it. But for sure. d- does it change when you're trying to take it through a column of filler? Well, um, maybe. It just depends on how hard you pull and how big the vessel is, I guess, and, and what's the pressure of the vessel. Mm. So I don't know. I think you can have evidence for all things if if you want it to.
2: For sure. Um, That's very
0: true. But we've got to balance it against the aesthetic effect, like you said. Um, All right. So tell us about ultrasound then. How's your sort of career learning and who did you learn from and what are you actually doing with it?
2: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You've got me there. Um, Nowhere. The answer is nowhere. I don't have ultrasound. Okay. And But I'm finding myself more and more... uh, the 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 lone the lone person the lone non-ultrasounder um, I think it's an interesting idea I think it's certainly something that you know some people do I, I think there's a learning curve to it I think certainly some people who are very very good at it are like Stella like Leone are doing injections under ultrasound like primary injections if they all do all their injections on, under an ultrasound yeah. I think that's I think that's great. I think that for me, it's gonna. It would be difficult. I mean, it would certainly slow me down quite a bit. Yeah. At yeah. least at the beginning, it would certainly would. Uh, um, I think <laughs> pre procedure mapping with ultrasound doesn't make that much sense to me because you're talking, you're viewing, you you're querying a three dimensional block of tissue for vessels that have a you know a course that can go in any XYZ direction, mm-hmm. and you're doing it, you're, you're kind of flattening out into two dimensions because you're watching it on a screen. I think it's difficult to make conclusions about that as mapping. Mm-hmm. However, as for complication management, so injecting hyaluronidase into exactly the right place where you see where there's you know there's flow issues i think that's it's very useful for that i just i haven't gotten around to to, to getting it yet hmm. um but i think it's a good I, I think that makes complete sense
0: so can i ask then how do you do a temple and how do you do a piriform fossa? what's your sort of technique <laughs> take my <laughs> needle and, jab, jab it and shove it and in out. yeah
2: well, I do I go like I will, but I'll go I'll, I go directly in. So I'll take a needle that is uh, you know, the smallest I can I can I can get, which is usually a uh 27 gauge because in these these areas are fairly deep and I yeah. want to have a, a robust filler. Yeah. So whether I'm doing using something that's like Volux or something that's like, you know, Voluma or um, you know, Restylane Lift, that kind of thing. I will, I'll put it in and then go down to bone and then inject as I come out watching the skin, but how making sure that, that column is about 0.1 CC is not more than that. And then dry making multiple columns.
0: Okay. So here's, Same
2: thing with the temples.
0: so here's my rationale for how I think about ultrasound. Cause I'm not going to sit here and say I'm an expert. I'm, I'm certainly not. We've had Stella and Leonie on the podcast and you know, they are the gurus, but I'm using it for one or two particular things, and one is piriform fossa, and I don't even do gunshot on the tempo anymore. I've changed as a result of what I've seen on ultrasound. But, you know, we're sitting here arguing about what technique is better. Is it aspiration? Is it moving the needle? And we've said that you could argue either. And yet, when you think about it logically, if we had a magical device that could look in the skin and show us where the biggest, scariest vessels are, which is ultrasound, yeah. I can't understand why people wouldn't use it. And I don't mean that as a criticism, too. I just mean just a generality. We've been crying for this mm. thing for, since we started injecting or since mm. we started knowing about occlusions. And now we have a simple method to just have a look. It takes like 10 seconds to just, you know, hover over the piriform fossa and go, oh, okay, it's on the bone. Maybe I'll go more superficial or vice versa. It's superficial, I'll go on the bone. That, that's how my caveman brain yeah. sort of thinks. Um, I'm not I saying it it's perfect. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it's sort of an extra thing that, you know, if I went to court, and and God forbid, there was a terrible thing, I could say, well, look, I, I really did this thing. And I've got a video showing it. Well, that's the first thing that
1: an attorney would do on on the plaintiff side is look for a, a, a strategy to make it look like you were did a, didn't follow best practice, or you didn't take advantage of what was possible to reduce the chances of this happening. And and that's the kind of thing that, you know, people like Jahan who we've had on the podcast many times who's a Mm medico-legal lawyer would do to try and form a case. And so I think – but I think when you say why do people push back on it, I think that um, the prospect of having to go and learn something like this because, I mean, I've seen the ultrasound. I mean, before – Cosmetic physicians and inject nurse injectors started looking at this stuff. I mean, it's in the hands of radiologists and sonographers. This is like a specialty almost to mm-hmm. understand and interpret what all this stuff means. It looks like just grey, a grey mess. On looks like <laughs> looks like your TV's broken. Yeah, um, it's it's hard to yeah. interpret what it is that you're looking at. So I think the prospect of going to have to learn that is Something that a lot of people potentially are mentally struggling with to, to sort of get over that. I,
0: I, I get it because I've been there, I, yeah. you know, and I haven't had lots of training. I went to Paris and did some stuff with Leonie Stella and Steve Weiner, and then I did a day course here in Sydney. Yeah, and I did the online courses that um, cutaneous facial ultrasound do, that which by the way, we have a discount we code do. for, <laughs> but we'll talk about that at the end. Yeah. But, um, you know, you've got to start somewhere, and i I personally think it's kind of lazy and undefendable to say, well, it looks a bit hard, I won't do it. <laughs> you know. Or it costs $5,000 to buy a scanner too much, yeah. and yet you earn 10000 a day. I, 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 I get the argument, but I just don't think it's strong enough. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, injecting's hard until you do it, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. I, I'm not saying ultrasound is the answer, but I um, have helped a colleague... Um, you know, sort an occlusion out by by finding the vessels and doing an intraluminal hyaline So that definitely works and lots of other people have done that. Um, I've used it to visualize weird and wonderful puffiness that is chronic and on and off and no one can work out what's going on and you can see the filler and dissolve it. And touchwood, you know, I've had five, sorry, three occlusions in my whole career. None of them uh, were sort of expected and, and thank God I managed to sort them all. But I think if you can add on layers to your safety and also make the patient feel more comfortable that you're doing as much as you can, I think it's worth learning. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't want to sit here and wave the flag and say, if you're not doing ultrasound, you're, you're terrible. I'm not saying that. I just feel like, have a look, explore it and, and try it. Mm. And if you like it, I then awesome.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's good. Great advice, and there's so many. Like, I mean, now it's not a. It, you don't have to search very hard to find uh, resources on learning resources on ultrasound. It's 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 available. It's it's out there. So I think that's good advice. I was going to yeah. ask you a question just quickly on ultrasound, specifically to you, Jake. Was
1: um, when Phil has been there, not so much in an emergency case, but if you're d- dissolving something, so yeah. a patient comes to you, maybe from someone else. And they've got some issues. Like I know someone that had a patient the other day, they had cheek implants, they had some uh, aquamid in there, they had right. some they had some HA, mm. and this injector's looking and they're going, I can't like this this filler's now so integrated into the tissue, I don't even know what I'm looking at anymore. Have you have you experienced that? How do you sort of been-
0: So I mean that's a complicated case, obviously, <laughs> but I actually think the word integration is absolute nonsense. Okay, so it, thinking- it it does not become part of you. You know, when I first heard the phrase, I literally imagined Um, filler almost bio integrating and becoming like flesh and that's how I imagined it Uh, and then you know I'm sure Alex you're a surgeon and you know maybe you've looked in faces and and seen fresh filler pop out a nose you know five years after it was implanted It, it doesn't Integrate. Okay. I think what we mean by integration is things settle down, the swelling goes, it looks natural, and hey presto, you're happy with the result. But it doesn't do this magic transformation. It's yeah. still filler. Yeah. So when you look at it on an ultrasound, you you see it looks like um, black blobs. Okay. So where, if, if it's HA filler.
1: Because I just thought like the filler doesn't really completely. Break down; it just loses some structural integrity and maybe small breaks into smaller pieces. So you're sort of trying to.
0: Um, I don't even know if that's yeah. true. Okay, I'm, I'm not sure. You won't we'll have to ask Mobin that. Yeah, interesting. But um, sorry, side question. Yeah, I, look, um, cheek implants as well. I mean, that makes it <laughs> difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in fact, why? Why did they have silicone and implants?
1: I don't know. This patient was that's in, in the 60s. Had, had I wouldn't had, touch. <laughs> well, here's the problem as well: is yeah, that apparently they think that the filler that they had was affecting the smile. Um, and, yeah, it was, it, was, it was complicated. It might, might have been that the, the cheek implant is now pressing on a nerve that it wasn't before or who knows, it could be.
0: <laughs> I mean, what yeah. Leone has shown is um, it's seeming more common that if you put filler in the SMAS, which is the muscle yeah. layer, which, you know, I guess can inadvertently be done if you sort of don't know what you're doing, um, that affects you know, basically myo modulates in a bad way, so you right. can't smile as well. Or or some of your muscle movements are less symmetrical. Mm. So, and if you dissolve that, hey, presto, you go back to normal. <laughs> but your case sounds a bit... Yeah, um, <laughs> it's a bit of a nightmare. Scary. So Alex, have mm-hmm. you actually been given an ultrasound and had a play? Like, have you got to that stage or...
2: I've played, yeah, I've played with it with Leonie, actually. She was here, um, and so I had, I went over to... Um, uh, to an office, and we 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 did a few a few hours, and it was yeah, it was, it was interesting. I uh, yeah, so I'm trying to I'm kind of starting to do research about what what devices and what you know how the resolution is and all that kind of stuff. So
0: yeah, um, again, if there's anyone listening, totally confused, I, I I don't think you can go wrong. You know, go to Claris or go to Vino or whoever your local provider is, and before committing, just have a play. Go to their yeah. Yeah. workshop or wherever they go, and. You know, don't get too fussed about which is the best device. The you know, just start with something simple that's affordable that works. Um, you know, it's like buying a car. You're not going to buy a Lamborghini for your first car. So, <laughs> same for ultrasound, right? <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I, I I think people overthink these things. Just start. Just just do something and have a play, um, and go from there. So. How do how do we sort of summarize this? Because we've sort of said that there's evidence for everything, and no one knows really, and there's all this conflicting data. So, if you if you had some money and and could design a study or produce some more evidence, what do you think we still need?
2: So much, <laughs> so much. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's hard. You know, I was thinking about that, and I I don't, I just I don't know that you can design. A, I think that designing a study. That's going to resolve the question of whether aspiration or movement is the best is the better technique. I think is, I think it's very difficult to do because there's all. I mean, we people do these studies, um, you know, in vitro, and they, you know, oh well, I took this tubing and you know filled it with this and put it under this much pressure, and here's what I did, and here's what happened. Yeah, but it's not, it's not an, it's not the same. <laughs> it's, it's still a model. It's still imperfect. Yeah, you know, and so I think that it's so rare to have these. Events happening that it's it's you know I mean it's like and it's you know what what are you going to do you going to take a population that's like aspirators versus non aspirators it's I think it's 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 a it's a tough tough challenge yeah I think yeah. the technology is going to solve the issue
0: yeah hundred percent um I I. Took the liberty of sort of taking the nine suggestions from that aspiration paper by Goodman et al. I thought I'd just read them out, just in case everyone, everyone's sort of wondering. Well, I'm still confused. What should I do? So, number key point number one was understand the safest depth of injection in any given area. I think that's reasonable. I mean, there's nothing safe about anything, but if you if you understand what is common and not common, that that's a good starting point, I guess. Um, yeah. Inject very slowly with a low extrusion force. We've already covered that. Um, cannulae are considered by many to be safer alternative to needles in certain areas. Um, however, the smaller the gauge, the cannula, it may somewhat behave like a needle. So, it, again, nothing is fully safe, but maybe mm-hmm. safer. Um, consider utilizing local anesthetic with adrenaline um, at cannula entry points and within the injection field to constrict local vessels. Fair enough. Um, consider directing the needle or cannula perpendicular to the primary axis of the vessels in an anatomical region to reduce the likelihood of vessel cannulation. We didn't really discuss that.
2: What do you think of that? It's tough to. That's a tough. Uh, I mean. <laughs> That's tough to do We you can't see the vessel, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, how do you know vessel's going this way, this way, this way, this way? Uh, you know, So, I mean, I, I think theoretically, yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess if we think back to our basic 2D map of, oh, well, the facial artery kind of does that, mm. go the other way. <laughs>
2: yeah, go the other way. <laughs> yeah. um,
0: right. Six, microboluses should be injected in small aliquots and, and they suggest under 0.1 mils. I think we covered that. Move the needle in the chosen plane at all times when delivering microboluses, even in small amplitude movements. So, I think it's intuitive that even if you were in a vessel, you'd inject less filler. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Consider ensuring the direction of injection is away from the eye in higher risk areas, such as nose, glabella and nasolabial fold. So, we won't ask you about noses, Mm. because you do tons of them. Uh, I think you agree it's a higher risk area. So, First of all, have you ever had an occlusion
2: anywhere, let alone the nose, but anywhere? I've only had occlusions in the nose. Okay. Uh, I mean, but what do you mean by occlusion? I, I mean, I think I have occlusions all the time. Like, I think I have occlusions probably once every two weeks. Okay. But these minor, because what I, how I inject the nose, I will decant, I will, I guess, backload or decant mm-hmm. uh, filler into those 0.3 mm. cc BD syringes. So the yep. 31-gauge needles are very tiny, And so I'm putting the in. I mean, my injection volumes, in in comparison, we talk about 0.1 cc's. My injection volumes are 0.01, 0.02 cc's when I'm doing those. 0.01, okay, right? Max 0.03. So tiny, tiny amounts. So if I do get any kind of 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 issue where with vasospasm or with, um, you know, if I if I get intravascular or in the tip, if there's a compartment effect where I'm, you know, I'm, I'm putting, so you know, there's, there's, it's, it's so tight yeah. that my putting filler in compresses the vessels. It's, you know, it's, it's a small amount and can be, and it can be reversed and corrected and not a big deal.
0: So you, you do an injection, you notice it's pale or, you know, you get a bit of mottling or, or whatever. What, what do you do? Cause you mentioned heat and um, massage. massage.
2: So how do you heat it? What do you do? So first of all, yeah. So ma- so massage. So I, I mean, literally, it's over here. I'll see it. I'll see it. For example, on the tip of the nose, it uh-huh. gets white. It gets, you know, the capillary refill is slow. I start massaging it fairly aggressively, and then if that brings everything back, you know, I go back to injecting. If it doesn't, and if I still see it, you know, you know, the capillary refill is slow. If I maybe seeing it start to the colors start to change to be a little bit darker, um, sl- you know, slightly, and it's still in the first. few, you know, a few minutes of what's going on, we'll, we'll put some heat on the area uh, for a few minutes and see if see if that resolves things. Mm-hmm. And those two maneuvers usually resolves, you know, 90, 90, 98% of, of, of any kind of issues that I see. Um, if it doesn't, then we proceed to, you know, other, you know, other things that to do. So including, and then we're talking, then I'm thinking, okay, this is something that is more, uh, more than just a little, more than just a little basal spasm. This may be something that's the intravascular, maybe something that I really am having a little bit of a, of a compartment effect. So then we go, then we go on to, um, I'll go on to giving somebody aspirin, uh, steroids, oral steroids. I'll give them a medrol dose pack, which is easy to do, um. And uh, I will, you know, put some, I, I, I put nitro paste. I think there's no, I mean, I know it's controversial. I, I don't think it makes, does any harm. Um, I'll put nitro paste on um, and then I'll consider what, you know, whether I want to reverse it or not with hyaluronidase. Mm-hmm. That's that stage. And then there's further stages of, of, you know, of what to do if that doesn't, if that doesn't immediately resolve everything. So how many people have come back with an
0: established Either the, the little vesicles or an actual occlusion, like a you know an ulcer, basically on necrotic skin. Have you ever had that?
2: I early on in my career, I had it a few times when I was using mostly radius, which mm. is not non-reversible. But wow. you know, really, did, there wasn't much else that was lasted any decent amount of time. Um, I had that happen two or three times and managed it with. Uh, just, but it was small areas we managed it what do we, what do we do? I think it was before we were doing hyperbaric oxygen we didn't know about hyperbaric oxygen then um but <clears throat> one person got some visible uh, a little bit of visible scarring this she's she was she'd had like four rhinoplasties in the past wow. and uh and it was you know again it was early in my career I didn't do her any favors. so that that was That was unfortunate. And then another, then there's, then there was a guy where it was, there was some, uh, there's a little tiny bit of tissue that went missing from the nostril. Um, And again, these are, we, I just, we didn't know what to do in this kind of, in in these situations. Now, with hyperbaric oxygen, with um, just, you know, using reversible fillers. Um that hasn't happened in i mean it literally hasn't happened in twelve years
0: mm.
2: so so it's always been something that some it's 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 never i've never had a you know scarring or or permanent tissue damage sometimes it's taken a while yeah for the skin to to come back to normal, but it's never scarred, yeah i mean
0: I mean this in a very respectful way because you're super experienced in you know, ex-ENT surgery, et cetera, but you do noses all the time. Do, I mean, what gives you the confidence that, you know, So it's, it's almost a law of probability, right, that you know you're in the vessels and you're saying maybe on a, a weekly basis there's a little sign that you need to do a maneuver to sort of get rid of that filler or do something. So I guess I'm asking why do you still do it? Uh, particularly for post-op noses where the vascular changes the scar tissue changes you know it's higher risk still so why do you do
2: it (laughs) well i think i mean it's interesting because it's everything is everything is is relative right i mean any no matter what i do whether it's post-surgical noses whether it's you know virgin noses none of that matches the risks of rhinoplasty surgery. I mean, that's just, you know, we talk about it a lot, and I know that we present about it a lot, of course, at every conference. But the thing is, is that relatively speaking, we're talking about very low risks and a procedure that is extremely high rewards. I mean, these people are facing, you know, these people have noses that are, I mean, they're I mean, not all of them, of course. Some of them are just have want to do tweak a couple of things and just might want to make things absolutely perfect. But some of them are really pretty disfigured. You know, yeah. they look their noses look really funky. Yeah, and and here I have a, the option in five minutes of correcting that nose and making it look perfectly natural, like nobody would take a second look at it. H- how can I not?
0: Yeah, you know, I was
2: trying to be a good host there
0: because. I don't know why here in Australia, the nose is very heavily sort of, um, it's controversial, restricted and controversial. I don't know how or why that came about in many other countries, every man and his dog's doing noses, but Mm. here I think there's, well, in some ways a a lot more insight that it's a high risk area and and many people just don't touch them. I do, but um, I've stopped doing post-op noses. I don't do anything. I was watching some of your um, videos online, but I don't, I, I don't go lateral, I don't go into the nostril, I don't try and feel craters from old scars. I just stay on the midline and I sort of have decided where my lane is. Mm. Um, but like you said, mm. high impact, um, saving people surgery, life-changing for some people. I mean, it's valid, right? But but yeah. I guess as an injector, you've got to, got to work out, well, what is your skill level and I guess comfort level as well? You yeah. want to sleep at night.
2: Yeah. Very much so. I I don't think
0: if I saw what you're seeing with, you know, little
2: pale spots every week, I'd I'd (laughs) give up. (laughs) But Um, they come back. And I mean, what concerns me is people that are like, is people that go on Instagram and are like, oh, you know, this is like, this is so easy. Look, one, two, three, and it's done. This is great. Yeah. You know, I mean, I can do this. this, And then they see, of course, they see all, all the, they don't see the disasters. Yeah, um, and it's good for you know most of the time, and like like any of these kinds of injections, low risk. But when it's when it when there's a problem, there's a big problem. Yeah. Well, yeah, thanks so, for being
0: honest with your complications because yeah. many yeah. people aren't, and it's it's, it's refreshing not. but also reassuring for listeners that everyone gets complications. I guess. Yeah, it's not helpful when people make up. A- <laughs>
1: Things that aren't true, or don't talk about the things that go wrong. Cause
0: yeah, that's how we all learn. Uh, we wanted to ask. I mean, you, you claim the title of basically the inventor of the non surgical nose job. Like, yeah. so, I'm, I'm not sitting here um, denying it, but like, how, what's the history of it? Like, when did you start and, and how do you know that? So, yeah, I don't
2: know. I, I, it's not, I mean, I, I kind of, I've said it. I, I've, I've said it. I, I, I shy away from, um, from, because I, I don't I don't know that for absolute certainty because I don't know it, right? <laughs> maybe there's somebody in China doing it you know I years before me I, I have no idea. I just know that when I started doing it in 2003, 2004, nobody was doing it. Yeah and there's no papers written about it. There's nothing in the literature because I looked. Yeah. and it's just the first patient came to my clinic and she said, I've done rhinoplasty before. I knew the result that I wanted to achieve to you know to kind of to give a straight nose, and I thought, "Damn, I can do this with I can do this with filler. This is not that difficult. I can achieve this result." Yeah, this seems like a really revolutionary thing to do. And I looked. I went into Medline to see if is this where is this? And the first paper I saw was from like Webster in like nineteen like eighty (laughs) one. talking about silicone right and i'm like i think i can do better than that and then the next paper after that was how silicone was a disaster Mm -hmm. and how there's like there's all these all these issues with it so you know so i think that um yeah and it's just and when it went into the went into the media and 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 it went from there i uh i was i was young and i should have published at that time and I I didn't I didn't publish until much considerably later on but I uh, I was just you know setting up a practice and trying to get my get my life in order (laughs) fair enough well that's been a a really interesting
0: chat and I hope hopefully everyone's both educated and still confused and (laughs) curious and and all the rest of it I don't know I I just think it's good to talk about these things and and just to make people think I'm not going to sit here and say we've got the answers I don't think we do
1: no. fascinating. I mean, as you said, it's a controversial topic and uh, there's a lot of dogma in the industry so it's good to have some fleshed out conversations where we can sort of look at the you know validity and utility of different sort of opinions and techniques and try and find our way forward as an industry.
0: Hundred um, percent. If you are one of our patrons, I'll, I'll put these papers up so you guys yeah. can actually read them and see yes. what we mean by cones and yes. all that kind of stuff we were and, talking about.
1: And speaking of ultrasound, do you want to remind the listeners on how they can take advantage of our yes. partner offer?
0: Uh, so we've partnered with Leone's um, company, Cutaneous Facial Ultrasound. All of our offers, is, that's not the only offer, but their offer is on insideaesthetics.com forward slash offers or just click the link in our um, podcast description and make use of the, um, the discount because you know they've got amazing online sort of modules and I, I don't know if you've seen them alex but really interesting and i think that would be my starting point yeah. you know don't go and buy a machine don't even go and get a scanner and look on a face do the online modules because that clears up a lot of the terminology and what's grey what's black what's white and and then go and get a machine yeah so that would yeah. be my starting point well thank <laughs> you again um it'd be nice to meet you one day do do you go to monaco do you go to IMCAS, Which? yeah all right. Well,
2: yeah, I was, America, I'm there. I'm there these days. I'm there every year. So it would be great to, to grab a drink at Monaco. I'd love it. Negronis
0: awesome. in Monaco sounds good.
2: <laughs> All right. <laughs> <All> thank <right, laughs>
0: you. Well, thank you very much, and we'll speak soon. Such a pleasure. Thanks. thanks. Thank you for thank having thanks me. Thanks, me. Nice to meet you. See you later. For our latest news, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. If you want to get in touch with myself or David, follow us on Instagram as well at Dr. Jake Sloan and David underscore Inside Aesthetics.
1: Join our IA Patreon platform for invaluable business and injectable education. Get access to our global community of like-minded professionals, live and interactive Zoom sessions, hints and tip videos, webinars, and more. Head over to www.insideaesthetics.com forward
2: slash Patreon for more information.